Well, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Holistically Healthy Leadership Podcast, where we talk about all things leadership, from healthcare to tech to to, to really anything. Um, today, we have such an amazing guest, um, Dr. Kathleen Flaherty. So Dr. Kathleen Flaherty is the Deputy Director of the University of Colorado Anschutz Center for Combat, which is an acronym, and us military members like to, like to break things into acronyms, but COMBAT stands for Combat Medicine and Battlefield Research. Um, additionally, Recently retired Air Force Brigadier General Flaherty uh, was the mobilization assistant to the command surgeon Air Mobility Command at Scott Air Force Base. Um, Her highly decorated military career spanned over 40 years and included multiple deployments and commands. Um, She's delivered hundreds of national and international invited lectures or keynote keynote addresses and had published over 16 book chapters, 32 journal articles, including 15 peer-reviewed research manuscripts. Uh, She's a president of the Aerospace Nursing and Allied Health Professional Society and constituent organization of the Aerospace Medical Association. Um, She's an associate clinical professor of emergency medicine in the School of Medicine at the University of Colorado Denver Anschutz Medical Campus. Dr. Flaherty is also the president and founder of Flaherty Consulting LLC. Um, She works with healthcare and business organizations as a leadership consultant and re-engineers clinical processes. Uh, She really specializes in healthcare provider resiliency and leader resiliency. Uh, Kathleen, Thank you so much for being here. That was, I mean, we could go on forever about, about your background and it's just, it's super amazing. But I want to start off uh, in this resiliency topic. You have done a lot, a lot of research in the resiliency and, and, and how, how to be resilient. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm so honored to be here to talk to you, Travis and uh, Jeffrey. Um, so excited to be here. Um, So as you mentioned, I have over almost 42 years in the military. And so after a 2003 deployment performing the air medical evacuation uh, mission, um, when we returned from that mission, my best friend, Captain Ed Rivnick, um, had intrusion. He had avoidance. He had nightmares. He was profoundly affected both personally and professionally from that experience. And um, at the time, we said, you know, I, I didn't know anything about compassion fatigue. And I said, Ed, there is something wrong. You need to, you need to get help. And he went and saw the f- flight surgeon. And the first thing the flight surgeon did was pull him off of flying status. We call it DNF, duties not involving flying, um, which sent a horrible message to him and the whole rest of the team. And uh, so that started and ignited my passion of not just finding out if people are suffering, because I know people are suffering, but is there something we can do about it? And then in 2011, I also deployed as Air Medical Evacuation Commander in Bagram, Afghanistan, at the height of the conflict. And um, responsible for all the air medical evacuation teams, the critical carrier transport teams. And um, I found myself as a leader because watching my team suffer, I really had uh, a lot of symptoms and I was really suffering. So um, after that deployment, I uh, searched and found Dr. Eric Gentry, who's a world-renowned traumatologist and did a lot of work in this field. And I went and I studied with him and took his foundational work and then took my 42 years of resiliency in mil- military and really took a um, uh, looking at positive psychology, neuroscience, cognitive psychology, and performance science and created a four-hour seminar um, that is very interactive. It has individual and group exercises and found in this short four-hour um four-hour seminar that, and I did six research studies, including a randomized control trial 
um, in civilian healthcare, but I also have done it in military at Fort Carson and um, here in Colorado Springs and found statistically significant improvement in the constructs of compassion fatigue, which is like PTSD for um, caregivers, and found that it decreased their secondary traumatic stress. It increased their compassion satisfaction, which is a joy, purpose, meaning from doing their job well, and then decreased uh, burnout and moral distress. So, yeah, I've just uh, absolutely loved the work and it's been so such a great opportunity to make a positive impact. And um, of course, because I do it, it helps me as well. So thank you. Thank you for that question. Kathleen, I'm, I'm curious, you know, because obviously in healthcare, uh, where both of us have also served. So it's interesting, you know, this may be uh, one of our first and possibly the only podcast guests, you never know, that have both served with, uh, both have served, you know, you and Travis have both served in the military and and you and I have both served in, in healthcare. I'm curious, there's a lot of topic mm-hmm. around burnout, um, you know, and I want to just get your mm-hmm. thoughts because some people will say resiliency can solve it, but some also say that there's a systemic issues within healthcare that re- being resilient enough is not just only going to solve it. I want to get your thoughts as a nursing leader, but also a leader that has seen this at probably some of the worst times uh, of one's life. What can we do in healthcare to really improve the conditions so that we don't face burnout? from a leadership perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Gregory, for that question. I I think there's both an individual responsibility and an organizational responsibility. And sometimes, like, I love the word resiliency, but to be honest, it's been overused during the the pandemic. And I can't search for a different, you know, different term for it. um, Because I do think there's an individual responsibility and there's things that we can do individually and collectively to to work at that. And I think there's some interventions out there that help, as I say, enhance resiliency. We all have inherent resiliency, but we're all getting different stressors from, you know, individual, from work, from family, from the world, right? And all of that chaos that's out there. And we we get that. And I think there's a, a quote by Maria Ashberg. She's a professor in Stockholm, and she describes burnout as exhaustion funnel. We slip down as we we give up things that we don't think are important. And often the very first things we give up are those that nourish us, but we label them as optional. So part of it is, is not say, is being able to say, you know, this is what I need for me to renew, re-energize, repassion, and, and not looking at it as selfish and being able to take that. And as organizations, I think there's things out there that you can help um, support your, your teams. And um, one of them is, there's heart math that's out there available that you can do. My, my program I do um, within my own organizations and I go other places and do it. And it's scientifically grounded and we have research that supports it. Um, there's positive intelligence course that different unit hospitals can buy with uh, uh, Shazaz. And he's written a book called Positive Intelligence. That, But I think it, it takes some um, it takes focus both for leadership of how to meet our people of what they need and and having those conversations, but also, you know, making sure that they do things that take care of them and nourish them. Yeah, it's very insightful because what yeah. you reflected there too is is the role of the leader, uh, you know, in that. And obviously in healthcare, oftentimes, uh, whether you're a clinical or a non-clinical leader, we ha- aren't also taking care of ourselves. And so then we just kind of expect, you know, what we expect of ourselves, we may not expect, or we may expect of others. And so appreciate your thoughts there on from a leadership perspective. 
Yeah, uh, Kathleen, that's just like we talk about mission and you've you've kind of sprinkled in mission uh, in, in what we've talked about so far. And it's it's just so important for, for leaders to have mission, whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in the military. So mm-hmm. uh, what is your specific mission and calling for leaders in the healthcare space? And like over your the, the decades of experience that you've had in this, what has changed for you? That's a great question. Um, I've been blessed in doing my life's work. Uh, my mission, my calling. I have a true passion for what I do. And I first discovered that my first military assignment as an army combat medic when I was 17, right? And it was a great blend of my love of caregiving and my ability to care for our nation's heroes and serve our nation. But the work that we do is hard. In healthcare, you can see in the course of one day what most of humanity that, that has not seen in a lifetime. And witnessing the pain and suffering of others is hard and it can take its toll. So it's not, as you mentioned, it's not uncommon to get burned out or have that, um, to suffer from compassion fatigue. And so that deployment in 2011, when I was particularly symptomatic, I read a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. It was by Viktor Frankl, and he was a Jewish psychiatrist, and um, he was imprisoned in four different concentration camps, including Auschwitz. And while he was there, his pregnant wife perished, his brother, and both his parents. And he was in this horrific, horrific environment. And he was still able to find joy, purpose, meaning from his life there. And I thought, you know, if he can find that there, I should be able to do it, find that joy, purpose, meaning from doing my life's work, my mission, my calling. But he has this quote that says, that which is to give light must endure burning. And so, and again, we have to figure out what we need individually to repassion, re-energize. And I, I kind of describe it as rest, renew, and heal, um, your car can be out of gas on the side of the highway and it's resting, but it's not renewing and healing. And so we really need to figure out that. So that's the individual piece, right? What do we need? And so for me now at this age, it's evolved into finding joy, purpose, meaning in all that I mm. do. And so it, it, it takes, but part of that is uh, they call it perceptual maturation. When you look at the piece that this is, in my circle of control, and this is not, this is what I own. This is what I have influence over and be able to say and prioritize myself. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting when you, when you say that, cause I can remember as a young uh, healthcare professional, my boss uh, was my senior vice president said that there's no more noble calling than to serve in healthcare. And um, he said, you will always remember where you started in healthcare and if you leave it, you'll always come back to it. And it's been interesting uh, because I have taken times where I've left and I always still get back uh, into some aspect of, of supporting healthcare. But uh, to, to your point, leaders still have a, an, an ultimate responsibility to help create that, that calling and that culture. Um, and Travis and I regularly mm-hmm. talk about there are leaders in our lives that, that make an imprint. Um, obviously, you're one that's made an imprint in Travis's. Um, and I look at my former CEO, you know, who was also a nurse. And so people will always hear me say, oh, you know, you're always supporting nurses. Well, that's the truth because uh, I did come from one. So um, but the reality of it is, is that the leaders that truly care about people are those that really leave those imprints. Um, and I'm curious, you know, having walked both a healthcare lens and a military lens, um, I'm curious, Travis and I were talking about this before, and I'm just curious to get your thoughts. 
what what have been some similarities that you've seen from a leadership perspective and what also have been some differences? Thank you for that. I think one of the similarities is uh, there's an old military adage that is, if you take care of your people, the mission takes care of itself. 100%. And I think it's, it's really important to be people focused, right? And that's one of the things I know. I knew my people. I know my people. I know, you know, their struggles. I know their successes. Um, and, and I think knowing your people is very important. I think if you have high performing teams and both military and civilian at my specialties, emergency medicine, you have to have high performing teams. So it has to be a high degree of trust, um, and respect in, in both of those, um, both of those arenas in both of those spaces. And I think, um, also, I, I firm believer in collaborative wisdom. Like, as a leader, you do not know need to know all the answers. As the you know the the lead on a cardiac arrest, if I'm I, I'm an emergency nurse practitioner, if I'm running the code, I don't need to know everything. But collectively, together as a team, we're going to be better if we lean on each other's for the the, the strengths that they bring to to the to the fight. So those are definitely similarities. I think some of the difference are is there's something about rank that makes it great, right? Because I worked at as in the civilian hospital here in level one trauma facility and my physician was a major and at the time I was a colonel and he he's running the emergency piece, but he said, well Colonel Flaherty could make me do push-ups. Right. So you have <laughs> so that's part of it, right? So as a nurse, if I'm the colonel, you're gonna speak up. So I think in both those teams, you have the uh, ability to, you know, take care of each other and speak up and have each other's backs. And I think that bleeds over in both those high performing teams. So I, and, and I, and I've loved both. Ma'am, that is that we talk about that quite a bit. In order to be an effective leader, I think you have. There's no way you can lead in a vacuum. We've, I think you and I have both seen that in the military. We've seen people lead in vacuums. Jeffrey, you've seen that in healthcare, where people are really leading, leading in vacuums, and they they don't they don't use the team. They don't know their teams. They don't know them uh, intimately enough to be vulnerable. We'll talk about vulnerability here in a little bit. But it's also about when you, when we're when we're driving that, we're getting to know our people. It takes a lot of energy out of us. Sometimes as leaders, we can we can push that to the to the point where we're not really thinking about our well-being. We're thinking about the well-being of our entire team. So question for you is, is just like, what does your personal well-being look like? You have to take care of yourself in order to be a good leader. If you're in, in, the, in, in my world, in the corporate world, if you're not taking PTO, your people aren't going to take PTO. If you're not yeah. talking about mental health, they're not going to talk about mental health. If you're not making that okay, and if you're not taking care of yourself, it doesn't give them permission to do the same. So how do you take care of your well-being and, and how do you keep up with it? Thank you. I love that question because at this age, I include my personal well-being in my definition of success, right? Instead of just all those other things that I grew up thinking that this is what success looks like, meeting that goal and, you know, then the next one. So now I take measures that prioritize me and nourish me. And because I know that if I take care of me, um, if I do things that nourish me, I'm going to bring a better leader, a better caregiver, a better spouse, a better uh, parent. And there's a quote by Brene Brown that it says, it takes courage to say yes, to rest and play in a culture where exhaustion is seen as a status symbol. And we've always been there, right? We, we, we have those high performing teams and we have those high reliability organizations, right, Gregory, that we are always trying to accomplish this. 
But I love what you said, Travis. As a leader, I tried to lead by example. And I take when I take my vacation, I go off grid. I might be backpacking, you know, off grid where I'm not, I don't have a cell phone and I don't have emails. And it's important, I think, as leaders, because I've had both. I've had leaders that I, they know I'm on vacation in Hawaii with my family and they call and text and email me to get them something. I've also had leaders like General Hogg was a Surgeon General of the Air Force. And she said, you know, Kathleen, on Sundays, I'm going to choose to empty out my emails. Um, so you're going to get some emails from me, but you don't need to do anything with it. And then she was very supportive of when you are gone, you're gone and you're off. Right. And if you lead really good, powerful teams and you empower them to 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 make the best decision when you're gone, that grows them and you're leading by example. So at this point, like I also think if it's um, if it's not a big yes, if it doesn't bring me joy, purpose, meaning, I'm going to say no. So like if it's big, if it's uh, to bake cookies and you got young kids, Travis. So if it's to bake cookies for this bake sale, um, or I could go for a run. So what's going to take care of me so I can bring my best self forward? So now I, I will say no to things if it doesn't bring me joy, purpose, meaning. If it's not a big yes. And there's power in no. You can say, oh, wow, thank you so much. You don't want to close doors. Thank you so much for that opportunity. Um, but I'm going to say no. But, you know, keep me in mind for future um, projects or whatever. Um, but, you know, knowing um, what um, harmony looks like. Yeah, I will say baking cookies versus going for a run. My no yeah. and yes may change <laughs> as I get older. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's such an interesting yeah. aspect that you bring that bring into that conversation, because I often say, you know, healthcare people, to your point, as an emergency uh, room nurse practitioner are driven uh, by crisis, um, you know. I mean, yeah. how many times you, you know, have saved the lives and, you know, although I was an administrator, I, some of my fondest memories were spending time in our emergency room and trauma room. And in fact, helping build a trauma center was, was an amazing project and experience. But in healthcare today, you know, we're, we're at a time where we're bringing in chief wellness officers uh, into many of our large systems because we're really not doing enough to take care of our healthcare team. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because. It's, I mean, yes, healthcare has changed. We've introduced new technologies, but it seems to me that we have kind of forgotten some of the basics as, as you were just saying, like, you know, when you're off, you need to be off. Now that's tough for, for surgeons and even nurse practitioners mm -hmm. who, if you're still on call, you're still on call um, and, and even nurses and others. But what else should we be doing, you know, beyond just leading by examples as leaders to really foster this culture uh, where we support our well-being, uh, particularly in healthcare? Like I said, heart math, there, there are, there are scientifically grounded things out there that we know that help. And so for like me, for our nurse residents, I did two studies on nurse residents and I found that our most novice, uh, healthcare professionals are the highest risk of burnout and compassion fatigue. And so I do for our whole system. So I, I'm part of UC Health and within UC Health, we have 18 hospitals and 400 clinics across the front range in Colorado. So within their first year of their uh, nurse residency program where their new grads coming in, I do a four hour session with them and I, I teach them ways to um, and I call it parasympathetic dominance, again, using that positive psychology, neuroscience, cognitive psychology and performance science. How, and, and I teach them 
how to go from fight or flight um, into rest and digest. So from sympathetic, uh, um, so the fight or flight into parasympathetic dominance, where you kind of shift your brain. Because one of the things we know through our science is if you're amping up, whether it's because somebody's coding or the doctor's yelling at you or your son's rolling his eyes at you, whatever it is, if you amp up, you not only have the physiological negative effects, but you have the part of your brain that control cognitive functioning, uh, executive functioning, emotional regulation, um, even your speech. Wernicke's and Bra uh, Broca's part of your brain that says, this is how I want to have, you know, what I want to say comes out differently. So using all that science, um, I, I teach them how to shift in the moment, I teach uh, 10 different um, techniques that will, within two to three seconds, shift from fight or flight into rest and digest. And as I tell the people, I, um, you can run to the code, but before you get to the code, you know, start that, uh, it's called self-regulation, where you shift from the fight or flight to the rest and digest, because that patient deserves a clean, uh, thinking clinician. That aspect can go over into if a patient's yelling at me, um, I can realize that it has nothing to do with me. They are in the middle of fight or flight. They just had their their worst day, and it could be me or anybody else standing here. And inside our brain, we have what's called mirror neurons. And so if I see a baby laughing, I'm going to feel that joy. If I see somebody crying, I'm going to feel that sadness. If somebody's amping up, I'm going to amp up, which does nothing for that situation. So by teaching these parasympathetic dominance, they're able to shift and recognize that, you know, this has nothing to do with me. And this person's in fight or flight. And I'm going to react in a way that um, I'm going to be present and I'm going to do my best. And then I'm going to let it go. And a good example of how you can easily implement this in um, to your daily practice, and I do this in my daily practice and I teach it, is <clears throat> if I've just cared for a patient, we'll say it didn't go as well as could be expected. We wash our hands before and after every patient. So I wash my hands in the patient's room. And as I'm washing my hands, I inhale peace and I exhale calm. I feel the warmth of the water. So I have a tactile that helps recenter my brain. It gives you that self-command of your brain. So I feel the warmth of the water. I feel the soap of the water. I'm recognizing that I did my best for this patient and my best is good enough. And then I let it go. Because what we're taught is stoicism, objectivity. We shove it down, shove it down, shove it down. And what we know is that uh, stoicism objectivity doesn't work for prolonged caregiving. And when I use that term, Gregory, um, Jeffrey, sorry, I use it holistically. It's not just the caregiver. It's the leader. It's the registrar. It's the person behind the scenes cooking for the patients. It's everybody in healthcare. Um, if you're able to just be present and let the rest of the world fall away, um, and you, you can do that. It just takes uh, work. Yeah, that I mean, we and it takes us. It it takes a a mental toughness to be able to do that. It takes a, even it's kind of it's it's counter counter counterintuitive that it takes mental toughness to decompress a little bit at that time when to to be able to feel the water to be able to take those deep breaths mm -hmm. and we talk about Jeffrey and I talk about just the mental health aspect of what we do whether it's military healthcare uh, specifically in healthcare and and in big industry is just 
that that ability to de-escalate yourself really does help de-escalate others. And if you can walk into a room or walk out of a room and, in a de-escalated and that fight or flight is, is de-escalated, it really does bring a calm to those who you lead because they're looking at you. We talk about idealized influence and that's the that's the concept of, of that your people are looking at you. They're following you for a reason. It's mm-hmm. because they want to emulate what you do. So if you are practicing that, that, that breathing technique as you're washing your hands in and out of the room and, and, and they're seeing you regulate yourself that way, it's such a powerful tool. And it's not only extremely helpful for us as leaders to be able to take that time, whether it's in the, in, in the emergency room, whether it's in the, in the patient's room, whether it's in, whether I'm re- like heightened, like you said, by my boys. And it's just this, this deep breath, this, this calming, this calming presence to be able to regulate it's so important and it's mm-hmm. uh, it helps model that for our for our people our, for me for my kids for my for my wife for 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 everyone um and you, Kathleen you talked about Brene Brown earlier and I'm so glad you did and we talk, and Brene Brown talks so much about vulnerability and Jeffrey and I like we 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 are vulnerable folk <laughs> we we like to we like to promote that you know vulnerability is truth and that's if you and if you can feel vulnerable and be vulnerable with um with your people and with yourselves and with those close to you that that's going to make you a better leader it's going to make you a more healthy yeah. person um this conversation has spurred up a lot of vulnerability in me. Just you talked about you being in Afghanistan in 2011. I was there in 2010 and coming home, came home with a lot of trauma, a lot yeah. of that. A lot, and, and looking at your combat research, I, it, 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 I'm getting goosebumps right now. And it's just like that, that what you have done for people like me who have come home uh, from a combat zone and are heightened and have PTSD and uh, that trauma response that we go into quite a bit, that fight or flight, what you just talked about with the, what, with the, the breathing techniques and the washing of the hands, those, like the, those bilateral stimulation techniques, all those different things that you can do to calm yourself down. I think that we need to sp- just scream those things from the rooftops of leadership. That that is what that is that is just physical things, very small things that can help us to just to just to calm, be calm, and to, and to regulate. So, um, heading back to the vulnerability piece, like what what are your views on vulnerability in healthcare and in the military? Because those, to me, I know I know I know military. Jeffrey Jeffrey knows healthcare. You know both. So I would, I just, I would love your views on what, what does vulnerability look like in those two, those two lenses through those two lenses? Yeah. Thank you for that question. So I've been a woman, a woman in a predominantly male environment for a long time, both since joining the army in 1980 and then in, uh, in healthcare. Right. Um, and, and I, as I'm sure you've had to do with your careers, I had to prove myself again and again with each new position and earning respect and in that journey, I didn't share my vulnerabilities, right? I didn't show any chink in my armor. I just, you know, had that happy face on and got the work done, um, which is what we do a lot in healthcare, right? We, um, we, I know that like 20, 30 times a day, healthcare will get surged of cortisol and the biochemical swing with epinephrine, norepinephrine in the, in the negative. Um, but we push it all down, push it all down. And our professional face, everybody sees that, wow, it's easy. And we're, you know, we, it, everything's perfect. And then often people would go home with nothing left to share because they've used it all up, if you say, if you will, at work. So um, a lot in my journey, I didn't share my vulnerabilities. Even on a tough day when my family said, you know, how was your day? I would say, oh, it was outstanding. I point out the good stuff. But the things I really struggled with, I didn't share 
And I think I, I've done a disservice with my kids and those I've led by not showing vulnerabilities that time. And so that places a really high bar for those that you love and that you lead, right? If you're viewed as perfect, right? And so now with some growth and maturity, I can say that I've, I've had, if I've had a really tough day, I can say, I need a hug. Mm. I need to talk. I need to go for a run. And I'm able to say that. And by having those discussions with people that I care about, both my teams and, and um, with my family, they understand and know that if I'm able to do those things, I'm going to bring a better version of myself. And a lot of times we, when we shove it down, we don't acknowledge it. We don't work through it and we can't let it go. But now I'm, I'm, I'm able to do that. And I think it's real important to be able to share that vulnerability. I've had people say, Kathleen, you cannot cry in healthcare and you cannot cry as a general. And um, that's not me. Um, I have uh, worked for Airlift Northwest, which was a critical care air transport. I drop off, you know, the patients and then I'd go to the waiting room and talk to the family. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that this happened to your child. And at times I would cry because I, I had the empathy. And as an Air Force leader, when I'm given a, a memorial for somebody who's died, the, the family knows it's sincere and genuine. And so I, I think it it's, takes strength and courage to do that. But I think it shows your teams that you're human and that piece of humanity is what makes you good at your job. And the, the human part is the most powerful in there, right? I mean, I think in healthcare is the type of industry where, where um, even though it's all about supporting humans, we've forgotten so much of, of that, particularly at the leadership level, where, oh, you know, we, we can't be too, as I would say, raw. Um, because you know, if we admit we made a mistake, yeah. oh gosh, the litigious environment's going to come after us. But, but the reality of it is, is that if we admit that we're also humans, uh, generally patients and family members also understand. Um, particularly if we're yeah. if we're communicating with them in a sincere, genuine manner, uh, which is what you're what you're yes. speaking to. Um, it's interesting because um, you know, in healthcare, we're trained on stage, off stage. You know, I mean, you know, we all been trained on Disney or we've been trained on Studer or we've been whatever, whatever it is, we've been trained on it. And um I often say healthcare, we we stay too much on stage. Um, there are moments where we have to take that stoic part and just be human, um, you know, to your point, yeah. just go in and relate to them, talk to them about, because nine times out of 10, we faced what they've faced uh, in our own life with another mm -hmm. loved one or, or something like that. I'm curious, though, because in your military experience, I noticed, first of all, you know, obviously we're, we're among a titan in nursing uh, because you're a fellow. Um, and, and obviously to be among a fellow uh, in nursing is, is quite an achievement. But I noticed in the submission when you were nominated that it talked about that you personally, personally flew 44 combat missions and cared for more than 3,000 patients overall during 450 critical care missions. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious about in those missions, there must have been some aspect that, of vulnerability that you would have shared with those that you worked with. Um, because to do that many, I can't imagine clamping up and not talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm still friends with a lot of the lot, lot of those people t today. I'm doing my chief's retirement on June 3rd, who we deployed uh, performing that mission together. And well, you know, Travis, and and when you deploy together, they're your family, they're your military family, and. Um, you, you do share things. And I think it's important, one, not just to lead by example and to take care of your 
your teams, but let them take care of you too when you have those down days. And as I tell people, everybody has down days, right? And there are things that we saw in that you see in deployments, it's not normal in the course of a day to see triple amputees one after the other, right? And then, um, so I'll give you an example. Um, it's a hard example. It was a Navy corpsman who uh, was taking care of. So Travis, this is your your swim lane. My um, people. Yeah. So two Marines. One was a double amputee and one was a triple amputee. This Navy corpsman was able to save both their lives. And uh, <clears throat> and uh, I cared for them. So the, the Navy corpsman had shot morale uh, injuries, so he was on the, the, the flight as well. And so I went to the hospital to see these uh, these air, these um, uh, Navy and Marines. And uh, they were intubated and very sick, the triple amputee and the double amputee. And um, I uh, went and saw the Navy corpsman and I coined him. And I said, because I knew mentally he would have challenges. Did he do the right thing? Should he have done that? You know, all of those things. And, you know, I coined him and I said, you know, uh, and you know that Travis. So I had a, you know, I had my, my commander's coin and recognized him for his outstanding work because truly to get both those um, young men, the, both those Marines out of there with under the, the, the challenges that he had and to save their life with those horrific injuries was nothing short of remarkable. And so I coined him and I thanked him for his, um, for his work. And then my commander at the time, um, was, a the operations commander was a, a fighter pilot. And he said, well, why didn't he just leave them? Right. Why didn't he just leave them? You know, I, I wouldn't want to live with those horrific injuries. And, um, and I just said, sir, I mean, his, that, that, um, that medic's job <clears throat> was to take care of the, the Marines that he was um, honored and had the responsibility of taking care of. of and, um, and he did a remarkable job. But at the time, I also thought, you know, I have a young son who's, <clears throat> I have a young son. So what would I want for him? And I was like, torn with that. And I've had those conversations with my, my teams, because again, we see in the course of one day, what humanity doesn't see in a lifetime. And because we chose healthcare, we are more empathetic than Joe public, but because of that, we feel it more. But then shortly after that, and I struggled, you know, what would I want if it was my son and I'd want him back in whatever way we could get him back. And then I read this article that was in, in um, <clears throat> that was recently published about a triple amputee who showed him getting married and just a joyful life. And, and to have those challenging discussions with your teams, I think are really important. And so, yes, I think I, I you know, you do have those conversations. And I'm still getting choked up about it. And that was, you know, 12 years ago. You're joking me up about it right now. Like we yeah. were talking about vulnerability, like that that hits homes in such a big way. Um, we talk about healthcare professionals and, and and the crossover with military. Like the our Navy corpsmen, like in the Marine Corps, there there are docs. There are uh, there are there are they're with us. They're in the trenches. They're in their town. They're on the foot patrols. They're in the vehicles. They're they're getting hit by IEDs just like we are. Um, some of my very closest friends were docs in the in, in combat, and to 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 think about that story. 
it just it just it brings back so many memories it brings back so many just kind of those feelings and like i think i've had goosebumps this entire time um but i mean kathleen thank you so much for your for your for for your i mean a lot of people don't realize what that coin means so kind of to unpack what that coin means um I was an enlisted uh, military guy, so we didn't have coins. We it was we, we would get coined by the general officers, by the colonels, by the the senior ranking um, officers. And when we got that coin, it was a recognition of an "I see you, I see what you've done, I appreciate what you've done." And this is a small token of me being able to recognize that right now, here on the spot. Uh, we called them ROMs, round or RMOs, round metal objects. So when we get one of those round metal objects. It was, it meant the world, it, it was, it was, you immediately, your chest, your chest puffs up, your head, your head lifts up. It meant just that little piece of metal meant so much to us. So what you did for him as a, as someone who's, who's, who's experienced those. And it's just, that's, that is, it's, it's an amazing way. And it's just, it seems some people think, think of it as insignificant. It, it is the, one of the best things that could happen to especially an enlisted guy who's been in the trenches and, and just, I can put myself in that helicopter and those, and the amputee and, and, and just the, just in that situation. And man, man, it's, 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 it's intense and it's, it brings back a lot of great things. So just thank you for leading so well in that moment coming from a Marine who's, who's had friends, uh, who, who had friends killed in Afghanistan. Thank you for leading so well in that moment. That is, that is, that's amazing to me. And it, and it just really, it, 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 like I said, five times before this, it hit, it hits home. Um, so the, the, really the last question I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to ask is you, ma'am, this, this entire time you've talked about being a, a holistically healthy leader. You talk about knowing your people, you talk about taking care of yourself. You talk about vulnerability. You talk about all the different things that we can do to help ourselves become better leaders in the healthcare space, in the military space, in the life space. Um, what does holistically healthy leadership or holistic health mean to you? Thank you. And thank you for that beautiful um, explanation of what coining, because when I give a coin, it, it, it's, it's heartfelt and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's impactful and meaningful to me too. Um, so holistic uh, health most days it, to me, it's to be in harmony. Um, I used to use the word balance, but balance means everything's equal. And some days, you know, work takes priority, sometimes family, sometimes me, right? And so harmony in, in all aspects of life. And that includes relationships, which really are relationships should be more important than work or anything else because um that's what why we're here right and that can be your you know family relationships it can be your colleagues it can be your you know friends so fitness relationships and spirituality and i think to be genuinely happy and healthy you have to have some harmony in, in these areas of your life and I think work, because we spend so much time at work or your career or your mission or your calling or whatever you call it, also deserves special attention. And, and, and if you're not happy at your job, it's important to figure out why and what pieces. And I always say, you know, I have influence. Even as a general, I didn't say I had authority and power. I have influence. I have influence on people I lead. I can give you a direct order. You can choose to do it or not. I have influence on my patients and my kids. I can say, honey, to my child, I have a 21 and 24 year old. I can say, this is what, you know, I can offer advice. They can choose to take it or not. <clears throat> and I recognize that, 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 
that influences helps with harmony. If it's outside my circle of control or influence, I let it go. And so it's being able to um, have that satisfaction and fulfillment in all aspects of your, your life. And it's doing those things again that nourish you and not feel guilty about it. Because in healthcare, so often we take care of everybody else and then we go home and we take care of everybody else there. And there's a little bit of time to get a massage or go for a run. We'll take it, but then we'll feel guilty about it. And I think that we have to change the, uh, the dialogue in our head and recognize that, you know, um, you need to do things that nourish you and it's not selfish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, holistically healthy means it does, it, it incorporates all those things. It's spirituality, it's, it's mental, it's physical, it's all, it's, it's, it's holistic by nature. Um, so I just, I, this has been just one of the most fantastic conversations I've been involved in. So th Kathleen, just thank you so much for, for coming on and just being vulnerable. We talked about vulnerable. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for helping us to be vulnerable. Thank you for, for the way that you've led and the way that you are leading and the way that you will lead. Um, just re uh, really quick for the, for, for the people listening, uh, where can they find you? What, where can people look you up? Where can people learn more about you, what you're doing about combat, about, uh, about, about you? Well, thank you for that. Um, definitely look up Center for Combat Research at University of Colorado and follow us because we were just doing such meaningful work that affects our warriors and our um, warrior medics. And so all the work that we do there is uh, um, impactful and quick. And then uh, um, Flaherty Consulting, um, you can find that as well. Um, and uh, my I can even share my phone number. So I love what I do. I love the opportunity to go to different organizations and uh, share the my experience, but better yet, share the scientifically grounded research that I do. That um, and I and I've and, and Jeffrey, you'll appreciate this. And for a lot of organizations, they'll say like, "Well, you have to take advanced cardiac life support. You have to take this course or that course." But this is one course in four hours that you can make an impact on the people that you care for, or whatever program it is, you know. And we're, we're really good at paying. These are the things you have to go to, but the ones that take care of our people, we don't pay them, and it's not, you know, we don't encourage so that. So, FlaherityConsulting.com. Awesome. Well, Dr. Flaherty, General Flaherty, Kathleen, thank you so much for your time. Um, for those listening out there, subscribe. We have conversations like this all the time. Some, you're going to get some great, great, great tools on how to lead teams better, on how leadership works in healthcare, on how leadership just works in general, and how to become a holistically healthy leader. So thank you, and we'll see you all next time. Mm -hmm.